flow? Welcome to another episode of Not Another Film Podcast. Stop! I don't have a good Pennywise impression, but we're here to discuss a movie that's in theaters. It's time for our first spoiler alert review in, gosh, when, what's the last one we did? Uh, I don't even remember. I don't Incredibles even remember. 2? I don't Incredibles know. Incredibles 2 all the way forever. last summer. Uh, we're here to talk about It Chapter 2. Mm. I know. Oh, Avengers was the last one we did. So it yes, makes sense. We apparently yes. only do these for three-hour-long movies Big now. Big team-up movies. Um, exactly. So we're here to talk about It Chapter 2. We're going to get uh, deep into spoiler territory. So if you have not seen the movie yet, uh, maybe go see the movie first, then come here and listen. Or if you're someone who doesn't really care about spoilers uh, and you're not planning on going to see the movie, but you just want to listen to two people talk about movies for a bit then stay listening to us because we love hearing you listen to us. Right? Not your best work, Ian. Thank you very much. My name is Ian Gears. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm joined by Lauren Thompson. How are you doing, Lauren? I'm doing very well. Awesome. I know you're really excited because you got to spend three hours today watching one of your favorite people in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to clear out the lane plenty of time to let you talk about uh, this gentleman. You don't have to clear uh, any time. I'll make the time. Don't worry. Of course. It'll come up naturally. Great. Uh, So we are going to mention Bill Hader in this once or twice. (gasps) Uh, (laughs) Your heart goes a flutter. I love him so much. (laughs) I'm blushing right now. (laughs) Oh, man. I love him. I respect him deeply. I'd like to clarify this is not a purely physical thing. This is not just a, a crush I, uh, I respect him deeply as an actor, and I love to watch him work, and so it was a delight to get to see him kind of get to do everything in this movie. Yeah, stretch some new muscles in this. Yeah. Um, I'm just mostly super proud of him, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of feel that way about a lot of SNL people that I grew yeah. up watching. Like, I feel that way when I watch Sandberg do something, or like, when I, saw, I remember when I saw the Skeleton Twins, which is like Hayter and, and Kristen Wiig, yeah. and they're doing a lot of dramatic work in that, but because... I watched them on SNL for so many years. You get the weird sense of kind of like, oh, my best friends are in this movie. Absolutely. And they're doing something that I haven't seen them do, and I'm just proud of them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel watching Bill Hader. It's do a perfect movie. pairing of that to the material because I feel like the also the vibe they're going for is the like you in the first movie you love these kids so much and you want them to do well and you want you want to be proud of them. So I think it's perfect pairing someone like Bill Hader because it's just the same feeling. Yeah. Uh, so I want let, to let's go through it, Lauren. What is your relationship with it, uh, with the source material, with the 1990 miniseries? With the uh, the 1986 book, with the 2017 movie, like where where did it start for you? Because you you really love this this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really this, love this franchise. Yeah, so talk talk me through like kind of how you came to this because you're not a horror fan. No, uh, I'm and, a scaredy cat. Yeah, and it's something that I, I find so fascinating that this one really struck a chord with you. So yeah, it's fascinating to me too. I really don't know what kind of uh, I, I've been kind of self examining over the last couple of days of like what it is about this particular one that broke through so many of my barriers about this because I haven't read the book. Um, I did not have a pre-existing relationship with the original miniseries, as many people do. Um, I'd sort of seen it, I think, pop up on TV every once in a while. Oof, it is rough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and so, and I wasn't particularly impressed with that. I was familiar with the Tim Curry uh, version of Pennywise. But... I really had no expectations. I I didn't see the first one in theaters because I was so convinced I would be too scared. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I kept hearing from you and from our other friends who went to see it and loved it that, you know, and I was on tour and I was on an acting tour uh, when the first one came out. So even then, I, I, I couldn't see it in theaters because we were moving around so much and we were in such small towns. Um, so I, I just missed the opportunity to get on that bandwagon. Um, and so one day, I think I, I bootlegged it. Uh, don't tell, please. Lauren, you know that movie piracy is yes. not a victimless crime. I know. And then I, I, I watched it very um, unusually because, because I miss Scaredy Cat. I watched in our day off in our in our like company housing on a like blurry bootleg version of the movie, and I also watched it with a plot breakdown next to me, and I was reading one step ahead because I wanted to know where all the scares were coming. How did you do? Because that first one is like jump scare every two minutes, like at a certain like once it gets going, like you just get you get jump scare after jump scare after jump scare, almost to a negligible point. Um, weirdly, I was doing okay. Um, I feel like for the most part in that first movie, I could I could tell when the scares were coming, and I could, um, you know, I, I could cover my eyes or I could minimize the window until I heard the like loud noise end. Okay. So weirdly, I watched the movie kind of around the scares. Like I watched, <laughs> I think like I I. Ah, uh, the way horror was meant to be watched no, around the scares. I know, and I know that's not the proper way to watch that. Now I understand that, and I've since watched the movie like. Once I got that first viewing out of the way, I, I could go back and rewatch the whole thing because I, I knew when stuff was coming. But there were some scares that I got, like when in the scene in the first one where Bev um, finally stands up against her father and you kind of think it's all done and she turns around and Pennywise is there. Yeah. I, I genuinely like dropped my computer while I was like walking to get a snack and I was like, oh my God. Um, and so that, that got me. But I don't love this series because of the scares. I think I love this series in a lot of ways in spite of the scares. Because mm-hmm. uh, what drew me in was I just love these people. Yeah. I love these kids. Like, yeah. I, I think what what really struck me is like is the humor of it and the heart of it and just like the incredible chemistry of, of the young cast in, in this series and the way that they came together and, and kind of the larger metaphor of it, of, you know, like standing up against trauma and against bullies and... and I just really connected with that, and I, I, I really, really loved that, and that that's what has stuck with me. I think it's very rare that you have a character, a, a, um, a series with this many characters where I remembered all of their names. Yes. Like, immediately afterwards, I, I have, I'm terrible with character movie names in general. Mm-hmm. Or movie character names, sorry. Um, but this one, it was like, they all were in my head. Yeah, Except yeah. Except for maybe Stan, but. That's just because you're anti-Semitic. Sure. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's fine. Yep, yep, that explains so much about me. Yeah, like um, <laughs> most of Dairy Maine. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I, it is very off-brand for me in terms of things that I love, but I love it dearly. I love these characters dearly, and so I, I was highly anticipating this movie. Yeah, you were stoked to come into Chapter 2. Yeah, but I knew nothing about it coming in. I knew about two basic plot points going into the second one and nothing else. What plot points were those? I knew that... Stan, uh, Stan and Eddie died. Or, yeah, Stan and Eddie died. Okay, so you knew both of those. I knew that, and then I knew about that Pennywise was a spider at one point. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And I knew that it was the older cast, I knew the general concept of it was the older cast 27 years later coming back to deal with him. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't really know anything. That's awesome. That's a really cool way to go into it. Yeah, I I, I was terrified of this concept uh, before I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, the idea of, like, clowns in the sewer beckoning kids down there. 
I remember growing up and constantly hearing from people that were like, no, well, there are clowns that live underneath the sewer and they try and lure children down there. And so that, not knowing that that was a part of a Stephen King book, but just thinking like, oh, that's just gospel, you know? Like, this is truth. Water is wet and clowns try to abduct children in the sewers. So your understanding was that it was a nonfiction book. Yes, this was a documentary. This This is is a biopic of Pennywise, the famous clown. Yeah, you know. The famous sewer clown. He was ahead of his time, you know. (laughs) He was a pioneer. You can go see the Mr. Rogers movie this fall. I'm so sick of biopics, Lauren. I can't believe. And yet here you are, I can't believe I'm here with this biopic. You're willing to do anything that shakes up the formula. It's like we just got Rocket Man. Do we also need It Chapter 2? I mean, ugh. It's like, what a dramatic bitch to need two movies to tell his life story. I mean, as this movie says, he is a sloppy bitch. <laughs> um, but, In the best line of this movie, Pennywise is a sloppy bitch. Uh, so, so yeah, so I was kind of a uh, jury out on it. I'm not a big fan of clowns. I think they're pretty creepy. Um, yeah, and not a fan either. But I was so taken with the trailer for the 2017 uh, movie, uh, the Anthony Muschietti movie, Um and I was following it a lot because when it was first announced they were doing it, Carrie Joji Fukunaga was attached to direct it, to write and direct it, who I just became obsessed over uh, after watching his season of True Detective and then watching Beasts of No Nation. I was just like, this guy is the fucking real deal. Um, and I still am a really big fan of his work. Um, shout out to Maniac. Really, really good underrated show that came out last year. That's right. Um, but... Then he got taken off. Anthony Muschietti got brought on. I enjoyed Mama, uh, one of the movies that uh, Anthony Muschietti had done before this that also starred Jessica Chastain. And so I went into it with, like, legit zero expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within the first, like, five minutes after that first scene of uh, Georgie getting uh, killed, getting his arm ripped off and, and then brought down into the sewer in the first scene with Bill Skarsgård, as Pennywise, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. There was like a level of, uh, and I mean this in the best possible way, um, because I think we are, we're living in the the age of member berries and nostalgia and, and all of this, you know, delight with stranger things and, and XYZ kind of like really monopolizing on, on a time where we just want to feel comforted in IPs that we know, and we don't have to think much about. Um, and in time periods that we have already lived through that we don't need to think much about and we can look back on and it's easier to look back and comment than it is to look forward and wonder, I think, um, which is just kind of my general idea on why we're so obsessed with nostalgia right now. But so I was, I had a blast watching the first it. And like Mm -hmm. you said, like really fell in love with these characters. thought the performances from the kids were fucking great across the board like it was extremely well cast, extremely well balanced ensemble. Yeah, I think the best scenes in that in that movie are the scenes that are just them, that are not even with Pennywise. Although it does have some really great scares, I think that like the scene with them at the quarry where they're all going swimming is beautiful. And like, yeah, the rock the, fight's great. The scene where they're all sitting around and like Bev's in her underwear and they're like half like some of them are into it, some of them are also just like completely overwhelmed and don't know what's happening. <laughs> like, yeah, like I, I still, so sweet. the I scene where they're cl- helping Bev clean her, uh, her bathroom and, lovely. The, and the cures playing is like, there's a lot of really fun stuff happening there that mm-hmm. then you get this really kind of amazing commentary on, mm-hmm. uh, on trauma 
and, and how to deal with trauma, how to process trauma while it's happening, mm-hmm. uh, and how to recognize trauma that you may not recognize is happening. Yeah. And then I became really like just so fascinated by it and the metaphor of what Pennywise was that I, I got the book and I, I read the book, um, all 1100 pages of it. And really, I mean, man, wow, what a journey that is. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know if I can recommend it for anyone but the obscenely curious. Uh, I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. I've listened to, or I've read a collection of his short stories. I've read his, I've read on writing and, and it, and that is literally the, the, it. That, that is, yeah, full stop what I've read of Stephen King's work. Uh, I definitely think he's a good writer, um, but I also think that he is um, a bit verbose. He needs and, an editor. Uh, he, he needs, needs an editor. An editor. <laughs> and no one is too good for an editor. I will say that till the end of time. Yeah, and and there no are one definite, is beyond editing. Yeah, and and the book has come under fire for a lot of its controversy. Art I mean, should not be created in a vacuum. Yeah, oh, most definitely. But like you know, there's the the infamous child orgy scene, uh, which thankfully was cut out of uh, you know not even included, not even thought to be included in the 2017 thank movie. God. Uh, thank God, uh, because it is rough to get through. It is in the book. Um, rough, and, and I don't think I could have handled that. Yeah, and just by the sheer nature of the book taking place in the 50s and the 80s, as mm-hmm. opposed to the movies, which take place in the 80s and the 2010s. 2016. Yeah. There is a lot more um, racial and sexual um, uh, insensitivity mm-hmm. going around that's kind of like willy-nilly being thrown about in this book by characters that we love. Uh, like Richie, I think one of, you know, uh, one of the favorite characters of both of ours is like who's constantly doing voices and impressions and cracking jokes is in the book constantly doing uh, incredibly racist impressions mm-hmm. and just kind of like throwing around the n-word and it's like it's hard to like a character even when they're 11 yeah he comes who's off much better doing this because <laughs> they're trying this. to get a rise out of their friends you know beep beep richie but uh, i but for the most part on the whole I really love what the book says and what the book is doing mm-hmm. because I think that what what I connect to about it, first of all, we've talked about this before, I love coming-of-age stories. It's mm-hmm. my favorite genre of, of movie um, and, and storytelling. And I think what it does specifically that is so great is, it's it, like we were saying about the movie, it's about trauma and how do you process trauma and, and the fact that the book constantly is going back and forth between the quote-unquote present day of these characters as adults and these characters as kids is you're realizing that pretending that something doesn't exist or constantly putting it out of your head is only going to make you relive that trauma unintentionally mm-hmm. as opposed to actually working your way through it. Yeah. Um, and I just and also think- in this movie, touching on the idea that letting it destroy you and letting it get to you and letting it seem as big as it is mm-hmm. is only going to make it as dangerous as you believe it is. That, like, your trauma that is in the past mm-hmm. is only as dangerous to you as you let it be. Well, and that that trauma appears to everyone in different ways and in different forms and mm-hmm. in different shapes. Uh, you know, and for, sometimes it's absurd and sometimes it manifests in ways you don't expect. And, and sometimes like, it, what may be scary to you or maybe traumatic to you is laughable to other people. And yeah. I think that that's something that I have to take into account when reading the book because there are some, you know, in, incredibly silly 
things, mm-hmm. like fort- fortune cookie monsters, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, giant Paul Bunyan statues coming to life, mm-hmm. uh, and, and mummies and stuff, that I'm like, this is not scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think you can very easily just kind of take that and shift it into, uh, you know, that everybody has different experiences and different things that scare them. And different triggers. And different triggers. I actually think that what's kind of interesting about the, the juxtaposition of the kids and adults is that, like, you know... To the, the benefit and detriment of the, this second film, mm-hmm. you do have these through lines of, you have the, the kids, you have the sequences of the kids getting a scare and then the adults getting a scare in the same location as they're revi- revisiting it. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it can seem repetitive, but also it does make sense in that, like, especially in the case of, of like, of Eddie, for mm-hmm. example, like, that him being in that situation, feeling in this, like, unclean, unsanitary situation to others may be laughable, and the idea of this leper may seem like a, a kid, like a, just something that only a kid would find scary. But to him individually, it is still scary because it is a trigger that sends him back to the mental state that he was in when he was so traumatized as a kid. Yeah. That, like, really, like what you said there is a big part of the book is that is that the older sections are about them reverting to this childlike state. Yes. While they are in this literal space where they were traumatized, where they were in, most of them were abused. Mm -hmm. And that like, it is so easy when you return to that actual space where you were abused, no matter how successful you have gotten, no matter how far you have. Yeah, no matter how much weight you've lost, no matter how much. No matter how much money you make. No matter what, you will always, when triggered in a certain way, if you if you do not you know face it head on, you will go back to that exact same headspace, and it yeah. is just like this horrible backslide that all of these characters have, and I think that tangible kind of like more than any jump scare in the movie, of which there are many to, to you know varying success rates, I think that like existential dread feeling is yeah. something that really registered with me. Mm-hmm. That I really liked. I agree. It feels, I mean, it feels, I think, in the best way possible. I mean, this as a compliment. It feels Spielbergian mm-hmm. in, in its construction. In, you know, yeah. it feels very old-fashioned in the way it's constructed, in the way it's done. And and I think that that is a huge plus to both of these movies. Um, and and now let's, let's kind of get into it. So mm-hmm. we've got, we spoke briefly about Anthony Muschietti. This movie was written solely by Gary Doberman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Doberman was one of the writers of the first one. The first one was also co-written by... They used bits of uh, Fukunaga's script and uh, a man named Chase Palmer, um, and who this is the only credit he has to his resume, so <laughs> interesting. But Gary Doberman is responsible for um, for the Annabelle franchise hmm. uh, and and the, the new Are You Afraid of the Dark reboot that's happening soon. Hmm. Uh, so he's, I was listening to him on a podcast a while talking about the, the latest uh, Annabelle movie. Really smart guy, really interesting dude um, who brings, you know, talks a lot about Spielberg mm-hmm. and Zemeckis and that class of filmmaker as his inspiration um, where it's, we're going first and foremost for character. Yes. And how do we use tropes that we know and establish uh, and characters that we know and love to then be able to put the story and the scares on top of that? So I think looking at that as a way to get into It Chapter 2. Yeah, and I think that for me, horror always... I feel like... I like horror when it's done like this. I think that I don't like cheap jump scares. I feel like I don't like most horror films because I feel like the ones that work best for me are... I'm scared because I like the character 
and I want them to succeed. And so when they are in situations of peril, I feel invested and I feel like I'm with them. And if it's just in a situation where the scares come first before character, yeah. before your, as an audience, connection with the character and your ability to project onto them and empathize with them, then it's just, you know, it's just a friend coming up and yelling boo rather than an actual, like, immersive sense of horror, which I think is what these movies should be. Yeah. And so I get bored by them and I get I feel used by them a lot if they're not done well. well I, can, I can feel just manipulated. And, that, and feeling manipulated is not the same as feeling scared. No, you're right. You're right. And I think that that's where I, to use this to segue into talking about this particular movie, that's where I feel a little at odds with uh, moments of the first movie and more often moments in this movie when sure. it comes to the scares. I'd love to talk about which moments that you felt that in. Yeah, and I think it's purely, like you said, we get a lot of moments in this, uh, the gang returning to Derry because the 27-year cycle has come come around and mm -hmm. there's a um, a series of, in the in the book, and they, they open the movie this way, this you know somewhat now very controversial opening, um, uh, depicting one of the hate crimes that gets depicted in the book mm -hmm. and that these hate crimes have been on the rise and that these children have been disappearing more often. Uh, and now, now not even just children, but adults have been going mm -hmm. missing. Um, and that Mike Hanlon, the only member of our gang who has stayed in Derry, uh, has realized through his research and everything that it means that it this, you know, formless, ageless, demonic... Primordial being. Yeah, primordial uh, um, just depiction Eldritch of, horror of being. evil yeah. has returned. Yes. And that they did not, in fact, kill it 27 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so he has to rally the gang together who all made the blood oath that if it ever came back, they would come back to kill it, to come back to Derry and do that. Uh, and while they're in Derry, like you said, they all kind of have individual moments while they're looking for these artifacts to perform the ritual of Chud. Uh, yeah, sure. And I will get into all of that again. Oh, as... I'm, I'm sure we will, <laughs> because, uh, again, I do not think this movie is perfect. Um, I enjoyed this movie greatly. I will say, like, I think I was the person of the our friend group that went to see this that enjoyed it the most. There yeah. were definitely people in our friend group that thought this movie was bad. Straight up bad. <laughs> which is, you know, totally valid. Everyone has different experiences. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but I also recognize that it is a is very much more of a flawed movie than the first one, and nor is the first one a perfect movie. No, no, I I think the first one rides a a, a cleaner line by having to do significantly less. Well, and also by having children, I think that things are scarier when it's like it's children that are being targeted. Sure, and children that we are automatically like, oh my god, I love these kids. Yes, like. Most of the kids in them in that movie, with the exception of Finn Wolfhard and Jaden Martell, most people had not seen in other things. Mm -hmm. So we could go into it just kind of being like, I don't know who this kid is, but I love them. But I love them, and they represent innocence in a lot of ways. And it's easy; it's so easy to root for those kids. Yeah. Then, then to root for the kind of damaged versions of them as adults. Yeah, and so when we're going into this now, we have the added weight of you know we've got James McAvoy as Bill, we've got Jessica Chastain as Bev, we've got Bill Hader as Richie. Um, and and uh, I have the list James here. James Ransone as Eddie. Uh, yes, James Ransone as Eddie. Jay Ryan as Ben Hanscom. Uh, Isaiah Mustafa as Mike, and Andy Bean as Stan. Yes. Uh, and of course, Bill Skarsgård's back as Pennywise. And so we've got all of these people in the mix. 
as the adults, and we are now carrying in all of the movie star weight. Yes. That we're carrying in with them. And I think they're wise to cut it up about half and half. Mm-hmm. We get about three names that we really, really recognize. It took uh, one of our friends kind of reminding me that James Ransone, who plays Eddie, was Ziggy from The Wire for me to even realize that that was him. Mm-hmm. And just, wow, bang up job from him. Thought he was terrific He's in this. He's fantastic. He's so good. The casting is really well the, done. The casting's great. Again. And, and you can tell they prioritized, like, they have movie star weight, but, like, no one feels like they are there just because they're a movie star. They all feel like they are incredibly natural castings. Like, all of the transitions from them as children to them as middle-aged people yeah. all feel like, no, that seems like that is what that person would look like. That is what the energy that they would have. And it's not because the cast, I read a little bit, it's not because the cast particularly worked on doing any type of impression. No. Most of them just sort of watched the movie and then did their own thing because obviously people change over the course of 27 years. But I think it is a, is a testament to how good the casting is that all of their energies felt so similar and seemed to track yeah. The years. I think the big thing for me with these, with both of these movies, and I, I love horror as a genre, and I, I feel odd about it with these movies because I, I never found either one of them particularly scary because jump scares, like you said, they're cheap. Yeah. So if you can build something out and get a really tense scene going, mm-hmm. like, then I'm going to be into it a lot more than, like, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'll be a little bit more scared by prolonging a tone like like say like midsummer does then something like you know yeah, or even pennywise like popping a quiet up in, place. yeah then like pennywise popping up in the back of a locker yes and that just gets a little again it just gets repetitive and this movie for all of its you know giant budget which is great and all of its uh you know great star power sorry our cat is just like hawking up loogies left and right right now <laughs> Um, it is If you hear a, a disgusting slurping sound a la Pennywise, it is our cat Lou creating ambiance. Yeah. Um, so for all of that, you just, it, it just gets repetitive after a while. And I feel like the movie is not, uh, it's not banking on the things that really are making it soar, which is the cast and characters mm-hmm. and instead relying on the cheap parts, uh, which are kind of mediocre scares and, um, a, a bigger reliance on CGI in this one because the budget is so much bigger that the other one, whether it was because they didn't have the budget or whether because they just didn't have it written into the script, had to find more creative ways of being scary Mm -hmm. Um, or creating dread. Like, you know, seeing the red balloon really was like a scary, like, you know, postcard that Pennywise was around the corner Mm -hmm. or seeing the deadlights or seeing something like that. You could like, there was a sense of dread or your heart would start kind of beating a little faster. Like, you know, we're throwing everything at the wall in this movie. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's where my frustration came in was because it is, it's, it's it's two things and, and I'm kind of still parsing out my feelings on it because it is at one part, I'm so fucking happy that a horror movie can get the goddamn budget that a Marvel film has. Yeah. And can, like, can be throwing up big, bloody set pieces with big, creative, silly-looking monsters and designs and, and stuff like that. And big movie stars. And big movie stars. And, like, you can get fucking, you know, Academy Award nominee Jessica Chastain in your horror movie. Uh, and Emmy award winning, like, you know, bathe in the biggest amount of blood ever used in a movie. Yeah. Like, I think that that's, that's fucking awesome. And I love that. 
But on the other side of it, I just feel like there was almost zero, much like the book that it's based off of, there was no one saying no to anything. Yeah. And so there's just too much shit happening. And then you get a movie that's almost three hours long Mm -hmm. that is adding scenes with the kid, going back and doing flashbacks of the, of the scenes with them as kids that are delightful because I love seeing those actors, mm-hmm. but are also like the reason that, you know, what we're about to see them do as an adult is important is because of this new scene that you're now having to see them do as a, as a kid that we never had in the first movie. So there's kind of just no real reason for it to be this like, this thing like it's no real reason to have like the the stuff that was important in the first movie doesn't feel like it holds a lot of weight in this movie and it feels like they have to retcon and go back and kind of be like oh well actually the most important part of the first movie was the stuff we never showed you Mm -hmm. in the time between them fighting and coming back together yeah and it it was just kind of like it was fucking baffling to me structurally i was like this is ridiculous like and again it's i love it and i love these characters i'm willing to give it so much stuff and and like we said the first movie is so much better and so much cleaner because it doesn't have to carry all of all of the mythology that this movie has to be steeped in because Mm -hmm. they are older and are not scared as easily so kind of what the losers club has to do as an adult group is almost more of like a scavenger hunt whereas the first movie was a survival film and so that... Well, and the stakes have to be, like, it's not just us. It has to be, like, Pennywise could kill the entire world, basically. The stakes have to raise. Well, and there are so many things in the book that they never even brought into the movie. Like, there's the the idea that, like, Pennywise laid eggs. And, like, eggs are going to hatch with more Pennywises that are going to pop up. Yikes. Yeah, again, like, all this stuff that it's, like, you could have had this, this world-ending threat. I'm glad they didn't go there. Because I just think it's more fun if it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of secluded to just dairy. Yeah, it, it felt like this movie was ha- trying to have its cake and eat it too, where this movie wanted to have the um, adult club and, it, like, it wanted to have the kids have their own movie in the first one and their, the adults have their own movie in the second one, which was kind of the big draw of this particular adaptation. But this second movie wanted to do it similarly to the way the book did it, and the way that the miniseries does it with jumping back and forth so you can track, like, how these characters have grown and how they have not grown. And how they have, they have in some ways, moved so far only to be in the exact same emotional place. Which is very much a valid way that I'm sure he does it in the book and the way that he did it in the miniseries. Yeah. And, but, but, they, be- but they haven't done it like that, so they have to go back and re-engineer and basically kind of, through different events in a different chronology do the exact same thing they would have done if they had just intertwined them in the first place. Exactly, and you get a, a lot of that intertwining in this movie. Yeah. So it's it's very tricky because I, I get that they didn't want to lose the kids, and they also wanted to emphasize how they've come forward, and they also wanted to give us new information. They wanted to give us information about Richie. They wanted to give us all of that type of stuff, but ultimately it doesn't work for the pacing of the film. And no. it doesn't. It it feels much more like a miniseries. Mm-hmm. I would be. I I've said this right, kind of right when we came out. I would be very interested to watch a recutting of these two parts it, into a sort of like three, like four hour miniseries version of this. Because I think there's a way to do this of kind of intertwining them for the first half, then letting the kids part 
end and then coming back to the end stages of the adults. Lauren, you just described the book. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> exactly. I mean, I feel like, you know, I get what they're doing. I get what they're doing with part one and part two with kids and adults, but I don't think that it... it, it while it worked for the first half, it made the first half work, I think, probably better. Yeah. Then the first half would work if they had done it the other way. It didn't help the back end because no. it made it them. It made them have to retread ground. They'd are they like, you know, we don't need it. Well, it's I'm, fat that we don't need, but it's also like I think it also shows some of the stuff that like, yeah, there's stuff that they didn't get to do in the first one in terms of of faith to the book, in terms of the mythology, in terms of even some of the character development. When we were talking about Richie's arc. Mm-hmm. where they didn't lay that groundwork in the first movie as explicitly as they probably should have. So when we got to this part, it was doing a lot of retconning in moments where it's like, oh, it's too subtle for us to notice. And Yeah, like there are like little things like we even spoke about, like beep, beep, Richie. Mm-hmm. Big deal in the book. That thing is said mm-hmm. constantly. Beep, beep, Richie and hi-ho, Silver, when Bill is riding on the bike, mm-hmm. are like refrains that get echoed a lot. Yeah, and you had to explain to me afterwards that that the trash mouth um that yeah, that Richie, Richie Trashmouth trash Tozier is like I, his nickname. Yeah, I did not understand my understanding of the scene where he kind of goofs in the uh he in, goes up in his, his stand up act. In his stand up act. I thought that that was a name that he went by for stand up and it was just him kind of losing his train of thought. Mm-hmm. Whereas you had to explain to me it was him calling himself by the wrong name. Yeah. Um, this is after Richie gets called by Mike that Pennywise is back and he is about to go perform a stand up set. And, yeah. and ends he up immediately humbling. kind of, he immediately reverts back to being a kid. Being a kid. Um, and because they hadn't laid that groundwork in the first half, I did not know that that was, you know, exclusively a name that he went by among his friends group. Um, Mm -hmm. because they never call him that in part one. No. They, and which is fine, but then it's one of those things that when it gets brought up in part two, I got it as a book reader and there were many things in this, in this version, which I think is an even more faithful adaptation to the book than part one. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, for better and for worse, because it, 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 you know, we get a big scene of McAvoy when he gets Silver back, riding on the bike, yelling at the top of his lungs, hi-ho, Silver, away, which is literally how the fucking book ends. Yeah. And we've never saw Jaden Martell do that in the first He's one. He's never said that line, so it's a weird Easter egg for the book that seems, but it, it's too prominent to be an easter egg it's it's showcased it is fucking like it's framed yeah and i think that the same the same thing the same effect could have been achieved just by having him ride the bike and flashing back to his young self you didn't need that line of dialogue the dialogue actually takes you out of it because you're wondering did i miss something means and am i missing something and we rewatched the first one the night before we saw this yeah and they, they do beep beep richie once and pennywise says it to Richie. Yes. And it, which again is kind of weird, but you can kind of just like, well, Pennywise is a crazy demonic clown. He can say whatever the fuck he wants, I guess. And nobody will say anything. Yeah. So it doesn't the, seem like he's playing on a pre-established, uh, word. Yeah. Or, so or when term. Bev calls him on it at the Chinese restaurant in it part two, you're, it's just a little, it's just a little odd. It, it just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess like, how do we want to do this? Do we want to go through character arcs? Do you want to, uh, do we want to talk about the stuff that's in the book that, uh, and clarify things like the ritual of Chud and like the God turtle and all of this 
craziness. Uh, yeah, do you I mean, want to? Do you want me to talk to you about this? Like, you know, let's each just propose a thing we want to talk about. We can go back and forth. All right. So why don't you start with something you want to talk about? All right. And then I will bring up a, a something that I want to talk about. It's probably going to be Bill Hader. Um, Makes sense. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, let's just go back and forth on something that we, that stood out to us and that we want to talk about. So why don't you go first? Cool. I want to talk about, um, I think the movie does a really interesting job for being, again, being a huge, big blockbuster movie, um, and bringing in a lot of the metaphysical psychological, uh, uh, not psychological, uh, um, psychedelic weirdness of the book. Mm -hmm. Because the book, uh, once we get into the end game of the book, Goes very, literally goes to the macroverse. It's what they call it in the book. Um, it goes full Doctor Strange. Yes, yes. We're literally like, as they descend into the sewers to fight it, this is when they're kids. Bill, this is from, uh, this is taken from the Wikipedia page, so... This is this is what happens in the book, you know. This is this is verbatim. You don't trust your own recollection. I don't because it was so crazy. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, Bill discovers the ritual of Chud, an ancient ritual that allows him to enter the macroverse and confront it. During the ritual, Bill encounters Maturin, an ancient turtle and the creator of our universe, which it vomited up following a stomach ache who explains that it can only be defeated during a battle of wills. So the battle of wills that must be used to defeat it. Do you have any idea what, what the battle of wills is? We didn't see it in the movie. Um, n no, we, we, so we don't see it in the second movie because no. they talk about the battle of wills when they're doing the ritual. They talk about it, but I there's a specific that was... battle that you need to do with the ritual of Chud. I don't, I don't, I don't know. All right. So what you have to do is, uh, this ancient demon, it, you have to A chess match, bite down on its tongue and it bites down on your tongue. And then you have to have a joke contest and whoever laughs first loses. And that's how you defeat it. If Anyone tries to tell me Stephen King was not on an incredible amount of cocaine and when he wrote this fucking book. It's insane. But so, so that's do, not in do the they, movie. They, do they do that in the book? No. So that's not the only way to kill him. No. They find out the other way. So yeah. Okay. I thought this was the only way. Bill then They find this out as Bill does this by himself also. This is important. In so the there's book. no like Native American tribe that they find this information from? I'll get to that. Okay. So Bill then uh Bill enters its mind through the ritual of Chud to discover that what the that its true form is the dead lights. These these kind of three orange lights. Um and with the help of the turtle, he's able to defeat it and send it back to its slumber after proving that they're no longer afraid of it because it feeds off of fear. Gotcha. So yeah. they just skipped all the in-between stuff and went right to the I'm not afraid of you part. Yes. Great. So, this, uh, when they're adults, um, this is how things happen in the book, and then you uh, you can tell me okay. how things are happening. And, uh, so, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Uh, so they descend into the sewers and use their strength as a group to send energy... Um, to Mike, who is not with them in the book. He is in the hospital because Henry Bowers almost kills him in the attack at the library. Oh my God. Right? So we're going to fridge Mike over here. Um, and Mike has to then go on his own thing. He fights off a nurse that is possessed by it because you get in the book, uh, Pennywise slash it can possess people 
Okay. Uh, which he does to Henry Bowers, and he does to Bev's husband, who follows her to Derry in the book, and kidnaps Bill's wife. And and brings her down a to the... Plot, a side plot line that I'm glad the movie has no I'm very for. glad the movie had no time for it either. Um, so, they reach its lair, and it is in the form of a giant spider, which is where they kind of see is what its natural form is, quote-unquote. Bill and Richie enter its mind through the ritual of Chud, but they get lost in it. And in order to distract it and bring Bill and Richie back... Eddie runs towards it with his aspirator to spray medicine in its eye and down its throat, which does work and distracts him, but then it bites Eddie's arm off, and oh. that's how Eddie dies in he the book. He dies just like Georgie died? He dies with a lot. La- well, Georgie never had his arm bitten off in the book. Oh. So that was a, I think that that was a, like, uh, kind of foreshadowing event. Interesting. Yeah. That would have been so interesting if Eddie had died in the same way that Georgie died. He dies from a lack from a loss of blood. But it's so it would be I think it would be so interesting because you already have that parallel between uh the first part and the second part with mm-hmm. like Bill kind of lying there, you know, being held by his friends just breaking down at the loss of his loved one versus Richie kind of breaking down with all of his friends holding him up over, over his death of his loved one if they died in the exact same way. That would be really awesome. That would be really beautiful. So then it runs away to kind of take care of itself because it just got hurt. Um, Eddie dies. Bill, Richie, and Ben chase after it, find that it's laid eggs. Ben and Bev stay to destroy the eggs. Bill and Richie head towards the final confrontation with it. They battle their way into its body using the ritual of Chud again, because essentially they can this kind ritual of... ritual seems very simple. It's, yeah, you can cut it all essentially it boils down to in the book is them holding hands and sending their energy up. And it, essentially the battle all takes place inside their minds. Hmm. Um, very psychedelic. Okay. Right? So they're battling it and they find, and that's where he finds, um, the Bill finds uh, its heart. And crushes the heart. And that's how they defeat it. And that's it. And that's how they destroy it. And that's and that's it in the book. And then you've got this whole thing where they have to then, like, because uh, Bill's wife is catatonic and, uh, and, you know, gets, you know, she gets hypnotized by the deadlights. Bill and us, they have to save her. They can only bring out her or Eddie. Eddie's dead. And so they bring out uh, Bill's wife and... She gets revived back to life riding on the back of the bike with Bill. End of the book. Hmm. Um, yep. So that's, that's literally what ends up happening. Uh, it's a little different, obviously. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's what it is. So I guess from there, do you, do you feel that you need the god turtle and all of that stuff? Do you feel like you need any of the stuff that is happening in this this book. No. No? I really don't... Th- I think all the pieces are there in this movie. Cool. Was there anything... I don't know Was there anything the movie did in its three-hour runtime that you were like, I can do without this? Yeah, I think there are, there are those moments. I think that my thing is, like, I don't need any of that extra stuff that you just explained. Okay. You don't need the god turtle no. vomiting up the earth. No. And- I think at the core, the skeleton of the story that I want is right there. Cool. Because I like that they take it from this, like, kind of bigger metaphysical thing into something that is personal. That is just, for me, it's taking away all of the external kind of, like, trappings of it and really turning it into a story 
that is more centered on the theme that was already there. Yeah. And the theme is about these traumatized people taking control of their narrative. Well, and there's, there's the thing I miss is there are certain like bits of, of parallel that, that like you said, with like, you know, Eddie getting his arm ripped off. The other big thing that happens is when Henry Bowers attacks Eddie as an adult, Mm -hmm. um, instead of stabbing him in the cheek, like he does in this movie, he breaks Eddie's arm again. Oh. So Eddie goes back into the sewer with a broken arm again, oh. which I like a lot. Eddie. I like, I, I kind of really like that. Yeah. Um, well, because it also lends back to that thing of just the cyclical nature of like, this trauma will suck you back in again and again and again. And eventually in this, as this movie establishes, it will kill you. And if you don't come back and if you don't kill it, if you do not kill this right now, it will destroy you. Yes. It will destroy you the same way that it destroyed Stan. And so I think there is something that is, I I find so fascinating about that. Mm -hmm. About the like, and the fact that a kid just like Georgie dies right in front of of Bill yet again. And the like, if you, uh, this idea of like, you can't run away from it. You can't. And that Bill has to kill the part of himself that blames himself for Georgie's death. Yeah. I like all, like as heavy handed as it is, I really... I like it. I like it too. I really like it. Those I, moments work for me. It's not subtle, but it never was setting out to be subtle. And yeah. I think that it's a narrative that I find really interesting and really touching. And that like, I, I don't know, that I like this idea of having to go through hell and face everything that scares you head on, but then coming out the other side. But And that's, I think, what it is. That's why I don't necessarily understand thematically why Eddie's the one to die. I was wondering if you had any, like insight as to why he's the one that doesn't make it um as about, I, uh, other than just like someone had to die you know i i don't know thematically how that ties in i think it ties in with the fact that i mean they they bring it up in the movie as well where when they talk about how stan didn't make it uh you know is, is stan gonna show up tonight as well and richie mm-hmm. kind of has the throwaway line of like like well, no because he was always the you know most scared of any of us yeah and i think that these, the choice for that would have always been, well, Eddie's the most scared of us. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is Eddie was one of the, was one of the most brave of them and like, and you know, got he over had, his he fear. He had the well in there. He had the well in there. And I think. He that, saved them all. I think that that's what it is, is that Eddie rose to the occasion and they do it again in the movie with him, uh, you know, kind of saving Richie when Richie gets hit with the deadlights in this, mm-hmm. um, that, Eddie does a solo act of bravery mm-hmm. when no one expects it of him and no one asks it of him. And he's the one that that is the one that is the key to figuring out the whole thing. Yeah. I like that they because you said that that wasn't in the book of him being the one to make the discovery of like you can make him small. Yes, and that's yeah. And that like is like he's the one that figures out that they can change the narrative. Mm-hmm. That they can change the personal narrative. So maybe there is something in this idea of he's the one out of all of them that bought, that bought most into this idea of like buying into the placebos full on and like trying to be the one to push it away and push it away and push it away. And he's the one that had to confront it head on mm-hmm. and he paid the mo- kind of the most intense consequences for that. Yes. I think it muddies the water a little bit um, by adding in some of the elements that we'll talk about in a minute. Of, I mean, we can br- break into it now. Like, I think, it, I think it, it, for me, like, in terms of, of reckoning with him being the one to die, I do, I, again, I, I think it's a messy thing because I think, like, you don't want to, you know, buy into tropes, but there are, you know, there are kind of three confirmed 
uh, gay or bisexual characters in, in this movie and one who is implied to maybe be. And he, one of them, is, and like two of the four potential potentially die. Yes. And that like, I think that there is something that is harmful about that, but I also love them that he gets to be a hero. Yeah, I think that goes back to, I mean, we can talk about this at length. And again, as, as a straight person, I, mm-hmm. I have less of a, of, of a stake over, you know, whether or not this works than, than, you know, mm-hmm. somebody else that has more ownership of this story, mm-hmm. uh, does. Um, because I, I, when we were walking out of the theater, there was a group of people, uh, right behind us that were commenting on the, how this movie opens with a hate crime, mm-hmm. um, of a gay couple, um, being very open and very happy together at the, mm-hmm. at the Derry County Fair in 2016, who then get attacked by a group of hoodlums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and one of them gets beaten and thrown over the side of a bridge and gets picked up by Pennywise mm-hmm. and then chomped into and killed. But I do also, it actually just made me remember because I, I kind of was always wondering, like I was wondering the whole movie because I had, I had noticed because one of the other things that I did know was that that they were, that Richie was being, going to be revealed as being a gay man and being, you know, in mm-hmm. either, you know, having had feelings for Eddie or currently having feelings for Eddie. And so that opening scene, I, I recognize that he, like he had the inhaler the same way that Eddie did. So I think yeah. that there is something... In that they did not take that out, and there's something in that it opens with a hate crime where this man, who is a like a gay man who is getting killed for being that, and that it ends with that same creature being killed by someone who is in a way a mirror of that character, mm-hmm. because and because of that person, and that like that person is the reason they figure out how to kill him, and that another uh, non-straight person is part of the group that does cement his demise. I like and it. And so there is yeah. something about that bookend of like it opening with this hate crime where there's power taken away from them and it is ended with with these members of the LGBT community, at least one, taking that control back. Yeah. And facing that and and coming to terms with who they are. I and like we said, you know, I I think that it works. Mm-hmm. If someone were to say they had a problem with it, I don't think I'd be able to have enough I think that it's sad because I think it is I think it is unfortunate that that makes it into the idea where like you have Bev and Ben going off into the sunset together being happy being incredibly happy and you have Richie in a place where yes he's maybe able to come to terms with it but he also never comes out to his friends he never does face that fear explicitly he yeah. never is is kind of freed of that burden explicitly on screen and he does lose the person that he that we're led to believe that he loved the most. Yeah. And that he is he has that ripped away from him. That's the price that he pays and he's ending in probably the darkest place of everyone in the cast. And he's the only one which I found interesting. He's the only one that never has to reveal their secret. Yeah. Like everyone else kind of has to reveal like Ben has to reveal that he was the one who wrote the letter to mm-hmm. Bev. Uh, you know, Bev has to come to terms with what she, you know, like her whole torrid history with her father and like her and what her father did to her. Yeah. And the um, fact that she's married a man who abuses her, who abuses and her. And she's ashamed of that fact. Yeah. Bill has to, has to kill the part of himself that blames himself for Georgie's death. Mm-hmm. And, and Richie, we've, you know, we Eddie get, has to come to terms with his cowardice. Eddie has to come to terms with his cowardice. 
Mike has to come to terms. And again, we had some instances where I'm just like, Mike has a great moment with Pennywise and this is played out more in the book. And there are just things that I'm just kind of like, I wish that they would have just spent a couple minutes of their three hour runtime on this. <laughs> Cause they've got a bit where Pennywise is trying to get under their skin and he's about to like kill Mike in a moment. And he's like, you know, and he calls him a madman. And he's like, you're gonna have to come to terms with the fact that you are what you fear, which is you're insane. Like you're a mad person. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is, cause there are so many instances where it's like the gang freaks out on Mike when they realize why he called them all back and then freaks out on him even more when they're down in the sewers and realizes that the native American tribe that first performed this ritual actually failed and they all died tragically mm-hmm. and gruesomely. Yeah. Richie's the only one that doesn't have to. Then yeah. I, I wish that we had gotten a little bit more of like Bill talking to some of the people who spoke to Mike about, you know, Derry's history and stuff and being like, oh, you mean the crazy librarian? Mm -hmm. He thinks that like there's a conspiracy. And so that we got a little bit more of Mike's internal then struggle of, oh shit, maybe I am. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm making this up. Mm -hmm. All of my friends left. No one here seems to remember anything. I'm holding on to it, but maybe I'm... I just think it would have given him... A little bit more to chew on because I think I think Isaiah Mustafa is doing a good enough job mm-hmm. with what he has that I just kind of wish they had given him a little bit more to chew on there. Yeah, because instead that. he kind of turns into the exposition machine where he has to deliver all the all the you know all Which the eight syllable yeah all the eight syllable names and he becomes it, yeah it, it becomes a bit of the magical Negro trope which yeah. is. Unfortunately, it's played out. Yeah, it's just and you know it's not one of Stephen King's strengths is is no. nuance in that regard. No, um, not at all. The same way that I'm I'm assuming that there is very few allusions to Richie being gay in the book. That I had no idea. Gotcha. I didn't know that that was a thing that I was supposed to glean from the book. No, I think that it's something that was apparently mostly from what I've read, it is mostly subtext in the book and people have read into that a little bit, but this, the movie decided, let's just, let's do that. Let's bring it out and make yeah. it text because I think that it adds to this character. But what we were saying before, I think that there, there I really love that they did it. Like, I want to say that, that like, I think it's a net win. Mm-hmm. I obviously, my opinion is not the one that matters the most, but I do think it shows a step in Hollywood towards acknowledging that queer people can be leads in movies and heroes and heroes and like that like they can can take control of their narrative and that like they can have love stories too Mm -hmm. and i think that that's really really a beautiful idea and i love that they fought for that to be explicit and not just subtext yeah um so i think that it is a net win but i don't think that is a perfect example I don't, I, I, again, I don't, I don't, and like we were saying earlier, I don't love that he doesn't have to, like, he does reckon with it, like, he does, he is confronted with it by Pennywise, but it's not something that we ever see him kind of, I totally understand why this is a person who is still in the closet, despite all of these years being away from Derry, because I can see how that, like, trauma of growing up in that town can permeate and just, like, rot within you and so you just have to like deny it yeah i think that totally reads for me but i i never truly like saw him freed from that and the way that the other characters were freed from their burdens i think you see him recarving the initials at the end but because eddie died i don't think he ever really got and they because they never had a moment before he died where he could reckon with that Mm mm-hmm 
I th- it feels like an incomplete journey. Well, and I think that and goes... And it feels like he got robbed. Yes, I think it goes to the, the thematic discussion that we were having before of Bill's endings in his books, where it's mm-hmm. like everyone's constantly telling Bill throughout the, the movie that his endings to his books suck, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, is a giant meta-commentary that Stephen King also received, mm-hmm. that his books sucked. The, or the endings of his books sucked. He did not end a book. Case in point, check out it. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end, he decides, you know, to end with that finality and hope is really the way that it should end and all this other mm-hmm. stuff and, and, you know, give it the big traditional Hollywood ending. And I think this movie, like we said, with, with everything, tries to have its cake and eat it too and wants mm-hmm. to end on a note of hope. And, on a, and, you know, we don't get the apocalyptic ending that the book has where it's like, while this giant battle with Pennywise is going down, Derry's having the worst storm they've had in years and literal like buildings are crumbling. Mm-hmm. And after like the big battle with Pennywise is over, like the entire downtown of Derry is destroyed. Yeah. And it's literally the town is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a town that was entirely founded on and built up on fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, the metaphor is, is bashing you over the head. I'm glad this ended the way it did. I think it is a little bit more intimate, a little bit more character focused, because I think that that's, to get back to my, you know, my through line of what the, my problem with this particular movie was, uh, was just that I was so invested in the characters and their journey that when the scares come, I feel like they were just like, I just get out of the way. I just yeah. stop interrupting the movie. I just want mm-hmm. the movie to happen. Yeah. Like. The movie's good. You don't need all this extra bullshit. And I think if they had been more sparing with those moments mm-hmm. and varied the like, you know, because we talked about the way that you're scared as a kid is different than the way you're scared as an adult. If there's a little more tact on Pennywise's part mm-hmm. and there's a little bit like, because you, like you said, we get all those instances when they're finding their artifacts to perform the ritual where it's like, you know, Richie almost gets killed by the giant Paul Bunyan statue in the park. And then adult Richie is in that same spot and looks up and it's Pennywise with a bunch of balloons Mm -hmm. and has almost the same exact scene happen right back and forth. Yeah. And it's just like, what if Pennywise, we we get to actually watch Pennywise come up with a new tactic? Mm -hmm. What if we watch him have to figure out how to scare an adult? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something in the attack at the beginning, not to make this not this terrible event into a ploy or into a gimmick, but in it's the... It's the scariest part of the it's movie. It's the scariest part of the movie it is, is by, when this hate crime happens. It is by far happens. the most horror that I felt the entire movie. And the book... Like the pit of my stomach, I was horrified. It was terrible like watching it, was, it. It was horrible to watch. And there's... And, and there's, not in a normal, fun, scary movie way. It was just genuinely horrifying to watch. And that's the thing, is there's like, by doing that... Anthony Muschietti has proven to me that you know the difference between real pit in your gut horror and fun big monster horror. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we like the the attack, the the hate crime at the beginning, and Bev getting beat up by her husband, like mm-hmm. only a few which minutes is also later, horrifying. which is also horrifying. And I'm not saying we need to bring these up more and more and more. But it's that what's scary to us as an adult is different than what's scary to us as a child. Mm-hmm. And the book heavily alludes to the fact that when those attacks happen in Derry, Pennywise is around. Mm-hmm. And that it's that influence that is making them happen more frequently. Yes. Which is an amazing commentary to have in 2019 mm-hmm. that a lot of these attacks, 
and and domestic terrorist uh, you know incidents in the country are spurred on because the people who are perpetrating them and committing them are being driven by an ignorance and fear. Mm-hmm. And that is a terrifyingly prescient idea that I feel like the movie wants to flirt with the idea of, but then backs away in favor of easy monster movie scares. Mm-hmm. And it's... But I also feel like that is something that would... That would sacrifice faith to the book. Sure. Which is, again, it's a trade-off that you make. I would have preferred pr- probably if they'd been less faithful to the book. I think that's Because I thought some of the stuff I've... that they changed from the book was really some of the strongest stuff. It worked well. And then it was, but which is why it was odd when it goes back to being hyper-faithful to the book. Yeah. I just wonder where this was in the first movie. Like, yeah. script notes be damned. Like, they wouldn't let him make the movie he wanted to make. Whatever. Blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day... You made a movie in It Chapter One that works, that, for lack of a better term, fucking floats, mm-hmm. and and that has a beautiful story with beautiful characters we care about, mm-hmm. and some pretty effective, scary moments, mm-hmm. intense-filled moments. Yeah. And you have a cast of characters and a vocabulary set up in your story and in that cast of characters that you can make work. This movie uses all of those same ingredients... But for some reason is like, we can use the ingredients that we use to make lasagna and we can make lasagna tacos and lasagna burgers. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, yeah, but you also can make lasagna and just stick to fucking lasagna. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just, I I just think it tries to do way too much. Yeah. And comes up, like, again, I like the movie because I like these characters. And I will watch this movie again because I like these characters and I really enjoy these performances. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it, yeah, it feels like I'm watching, like, uh, a crazy overstuffed miniseries. Yeah. Instead of watching, like, a live movie. Yeah, but I think that's also the trouble of adapting Stephen King's works. I think that most of the time they usually work at as miniseries better because there's just it's just so dense and because you, it needs that time to breathe. Yeah. Because at a certain point, you also need to have a certain X amount of scares if you're going to do a horror movie. Otherwise, you're going to get a reputation of it's not scary enough. But I, I think there's, you know, it's it's a tricky balancing act you play. If you have a miniseries, you can dole those out a little bit a little bit more carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you can't really do that in a movie. Everything is is so much more condensed. It's the reason that I think a lot of people have a problem with the Harry Potter movies. Weird, like, to, to compare them. Like, it's just that they they do feel overstuffed, whereas I think if they were given a little bit more room to breathe, you can fit all of this stuff in and still, you know, have these character moments. And you can have a few more of the character moments that I wish we had had in this movie mm-hmm. that I think would have made it work a little bit better. I think that I wish there was a little bit more nuance in the the love triangle with... Bev and Bill and Ben. Oh, yeah. I wish there was much more nuance there. I wish that there had been a little bit more touching on that. I definitely wish there had been more about Richie and Eddie. Yeah. Because I think that there's so much gray area there about what was there. I don't even think we need Henry Bowers. No, we don't. Which is such, I mean, Bowers no, is I like... I don't think we do. Yeah, like... He doesn't our, add any... When you look at his nothing. actual function in the movie, he has no purpose. His purpose ends up being to stab Eddie in the face, and that doesn't even end up being a thing. Yeah. It is a funny scene, though. He gets killed by... Richie kills him to save Mike. That's yeah. literally it. You don't need it. You you don't. And, like, that's... Again, it just goes to, like, he's a big part of the book, and I get, like, you know, five or six Stephen King fans would be really mad that Henry Bowers isn't in there 
because this, you know, the human form of evil and what you're afraid of that the kids were afraid of comes back and the adults, I just think it muddies the themes. It muddies what the movie's trying to say. Mm -hmm. It kind of just feels like, you know, hey, we're going to throw in this B-side we know you love, Mm -hmm. which is like, I just don't, you don't need it. And it's Mm -hmm. a lot of extra time. The performance is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with those scenes except for the fact that it just feels superfluous. Yeah. Um, but I think the the Harry Potter thing is such a really good comparison Mm -hmm. because it really does like feel like that. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the, I like those Harry Potter movies a lot. I don't think, I think only maybe like three or four of them work as movies. Yeah. But, but I like them a lot. I like the world. Same thing with this. I like the world that it's creating. I Mm -hmm. like the story it's telling. I don't really think this works as a movie. I don't know that it has the time to tell the story that it's telling. Yeah. But I, but it's. But it's I a admire, world that I like living in and I like and I admire the craftsmanship on display. And I admire that it achieves as much as it does. Yep. Like I admire that I was genuinely really touched at the end of this movie. Same. I admire that like, you know what? This movie made me tear up. I genuinely did. I mean, that's well, and, and you know, let's spend the next couple of minutes talking about this before we go into the the final questions. But fucking Hater, man, he's fucking amazing. He's great in this. He movie. broke my fucking heart. <laughs> he's okay? really good. Bill Hader broke my fucking heart. <laughs> he's so good. Well, and you, because you know, you had told me I tried really hard to avoid spoilers for this movie, but you know, everybody was leaving the movie kind of being like, "All hail King Hater," mm-hmm. and. He really does. The it's, hype was high. The bar was very high. The hype was real. But what a fucking great role. And I mean, you know what? He fucking lived up to all of it. You get He's all the so best comedic dynamite. lines. You get all the best dramatic shit. Mm-hmm. You get a great added storyline that is not explicitly in the book. And I would say he has the, he has the, and this is said before, and I think this is absolutely was justified in my brain. He has the clearest arc of any character in the movie. Oh, a billion He's the percent. one that gets a character arc. He, yeah. like, he changes from beginning to end more than I think any of the rest of them do. Yeah. Plus, he gets, like, a love story. I mean, it, I, as, uh, as underwritten as it is, as much as they are kind of shoehorning it at the last second, like, it's there. Oh, yeah. He, and, and he's and the most interesting impo- part. And it is important to his character. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more important to him than I think, like, Bev's is to her. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, and yeah. And like, it was interesting because you did not know that that was happening going in. And I did. And I, so when we rewatched part one, I rewatched it with that lens, knowing that that's what they're doing. And it does add some really interesting moments in the first movie. Cool. Of foreshadowing. I think there's a really nice moment in the first one where you like, I think we play it off as a joke when people ask like, oh, what are you afraid of? Richie. Mm -hmm. And he says like, oh, I'm afraid of clowns. Yeah. And you really see if you if you've seen this movie and know that you see completely uh, watching it again, that he's completely fucking lying. Interesting. That he is like, it is so clear knowing that that he is lying at that moment. Well, and you made a good point, too, which I didn't realize at one point where it's like he's opening, you know, the scary, not scary at all, very scary mm-hmm. thing. And one of the things he opens, it's just a closet. It's both of them yeah. are opening a closet because I think there is like subtextual evidence there potentially yeah. that. Eddie is also gay. Yeah. Um, I think it's like, I do think that there is textual evidence there that it's like, that's part of the tragedy basically. But yeah, they both open a door and there's a closet. Like there's that. And he's, he's like in the first movie, they do have the moment where he's lying. They do always lean into the chemistry of those two characters. I think that that completely makes sense. That it's like, of course you would have a crush on your friend. And like, I think it's there in the way that he acts towards Bev and like the way that he, I, I think it all kind of adds up. It's just like, I wish they had, 
leaned into it a little bit more. Yeah. And that like also his fear when they like when they go to the house in the first movie that like his fear is himself and is like himself in a coffin mm-hmm. and is and when you see what happens to gay people in this town. Yeah. It makes sense that he would see like my biggest fear is that I'm going to get killed. Yeah. And that no one and like I'm or I'm going to go missing. And they're going to have thrown me in the river and I'm going to be gone forever. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that all completely reads as his anxiety. Yeah. I'm going to be just another forgotten kid. Yeah. That I'm going to be another forgotten kid and no, especially no one is going to care if I'm a forgotten gay kid. Yeah. Like no one's going to give a fuck about me and like my friends won't care about me. And I think that that's really interesting. And watching the ways in which he overcompensates intensely. Oh yeah. Is really, really pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. No, I think that that's, that's all... That was great. Yeah, I think that all reads in Bill Hader's performance, and I think it's like, it, you know, I mean, I wish they'd been more explicit in part one and kind of laid that groundwork a little better, but it is there, and I think that, you know, whatever it is, like, Bill Hader is fucking amazing. He's so good. He's funny, and he's sad. Like, it's the perfect type of character for him to play of just, like, intensely funny, but covering up such immense sadness. And like, again, one of my biggest problems about the ending, and I know this is the book, is just how bleak his ending is. Like, I know that there's that moment of hope, but I think if, especially if you're going to have the opening scene that you do, especially if you're going to have a hate crime open your film and you're going to end your film with hope, I just am really, like, as much as I love the book ending of him being the one to help kill Pennywise at the end, I think there's something that is incredibly depressing that it it begins with a gay man losing the love of his life and ends with a gay man losing the love of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really fucking sad to me. Oh, it's tragic. And I I like, I just, I want to hope that things are going to get better for him and he's, you know, smiling, but he's devastated and he never got to know if those feelings were returned. And that's, his perf- and Bill Hader's performance is is lovely and deeply felt and like and very specific. So specific and like I feel like I know this person. It's a, it's such a it's such a biting kind of humor. Yeah. And it's a great evolution. It's a great it's a really well written part mm-hmm. too. Like I think it's it's the best thing that Doberman does in the script for this as well. I'm wondering how much of it was was also, you know, just kind of embellished and improvised by Hader. But it's a very specific type of, of sinister, like not sinister, but like cynical jabbing mm-hmm. and comedic overcompensation mm-hmm. that you can tell is the evolution of the loud, boisterous, you know, mm-hmm. Richie Trashmouth Tozier that we mm-hmm. get in the first one that is so like, I'm going to be the loudest here and make all of the jokes just to be the center of attention mm-hmm. to now it's, this is the only way I know how to deal with the world is mm-hmm. through snark mm-hmm. and sarcasm. Yeah. And, and I've cut myself off from that because yeah. I'm scared. Yeah. And like that, that, I don't know. It just makes like, so and, and much I, sense that that evolution has happened. It's where... Like, I, I really like what they do with adult Eddie in this, but adult Eddie, for lack of a better, for, for you know, is essentially, like, picks up exactly where kid mm-hmm. Eddie leaves off, and, you know, you can say the same thing for pretty much all no of them. Growth, yeah, yeah, you can say the same thing for, for most of them. Richie, I think, is very, very specifically, like, you can see how the world has really fucked over this dude. Or at least to where this dude has felt very fucked over by the world mm-hmm. and has to put on seven or eight layers 
of defense mechanism to mm-hmm. deal with it and himself. Feels, he always feels highly guarded. Yes. He feel, it His hands are in his pockets almost the entire movie. Yeah, that's why he's like, it's great. It's one, a great performance. One scene that I will say I found inc- like incredibly beautiful um, that I really liked and I will say like has a lot of layers of subtext that I thought were played beautifully by him and James Ransone was the moment when he's like kind of talking him down before the end. Like, you yeah. can come with us. You are brave enough. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I think there's a really, like, kind of, like, it's he's still joking, but, like, that's one moment, one of the moments where you see those guard come down and that he has, like, a softness beneath him for this person that he loves. Yeah. And I think that that is a really beautiful thing because I, I read an interview with Bill Hader, well, um, like, right before we recorded this, where he talked about how he, played, like, it informed every everything that he did in the movie was informed by the fact that he loves this person. And it makes sense. You can watch it. You can see that track. That like he loves this person, but I am never going to be the person to make the first move. I am going to prod you and I'm going to keep fucking with you and hope that eventually you'll realize that I'm pulling your pigtails. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because they they interact the same way as adults as they do as kids. Like Mm -hmm. that relationship. They just poke each other. Where it's like, you're not relating to two people as adults. You are completely relating to each other as the like 11-year-old version of yourself that probably have crushes on each other. Mm-hmm. And you'll never get past that point to the adult point of like, do we have feelings for each other? Yeah. And that's like the central tragedy of it. I think that moment is the closest they get. Yeah. And that's the tragedy of it. And I just like, it makes me sad that, it, that he was the one that died. You know? It's a bummer. But I think, but it, you know, it gives Bill Hader an amazing amazing arc to play you know like Bigger. him him fucking weeping in the in the uh, at the barons at, at the, the barons broke my heart oh it was tragic and then trying to laugh it off by like i yeah, i lost my I glasses lost my glasses like fuck man it's it's really heartbreaking it's really heartbreaking and he's amazing and he's great i love bill Hader. bill Hader's a star this is he, a star turn for him. he comes out like he's like worth the recommendation alone. Him, I, I mean, I, I... It's not a perfect movie, but Bill Hader is so good, you should see the movie. Yeah, I think this cast is great. I The cast they assembled is great. I, I think love, Jessica Chastain tracks beautifully she's from great. Her, like, her childhood version. I like, I, you know, I'm a McAvoy fan, so I like yeah. what he does. I I think the, like, you know, I got to watch the amazing moment where you... Uh, Saw his stutter come back. Yes. And freaked out. And I guess. Because you were like, oh my God, they're reverting back to their childhood selves. And I was like, yep, that's one of the things I love about this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, can we just talk about our favorite moments of the movie? Yeah, I mean, like, we, we've fu- discussed so yeah many moments. so many of them. Our with, favorite were, quotes. Were with Hater. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the uh, like, remember, like, the callback to the best line in the verse when they, and now I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Yeah, that's a great moment. I'd like to remember what you said down there. <laughs> yeah. And he just, I mean, he goes through, like, five different things he, that could have been the thing that he uh, said down there. My dick's bigger than yours. Like. Yeah, like, and then it's finally like, oh, we're going to have to kill this fucking clown? All right, let's kill this fucking clown. Yeah. And when he calls Pennywise a sloppy bitch. That's great. God, what an amazing line. I just, I also. Can't wait for that gift to hit the internet, by the way. I mean, I also, it's, it's, he's, he's become an internet gay icon in and of himself. I think Skarsgård's performance as Pennywise is fucking awesome. As the Babadook's boyfriend? I, I just love it. I love how weird and physical it is. When Bill Hader, when, 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 uh, uh Richie made fun of the dance. When Richie makes fun of the dance is great, my, but my favorite moment of the movie, possibly, mm-hmm. I think it was the the scariest imagery and the scariest everything is when, um, is it 
Bev or is, I forget it's who. Bev. Who, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, when she turns down the hallway and sees and she's like in the older, and it's like him as a person. It's him as a person, and he's putting on the clown makeup and talking to her, and then he just tears his face down, and you and see those the lines. Create the red. They create the red lines That's the of the best blood. Best horror imagery of the movie. It's the best horror imagery of the movie. It relies on very minimal effects. And it's just Skarsgård doing a cr- doing his creepy best, and with it's the this, eye going off in the different direction. It's the level of intense focus that he has at all times. Do you know that he can do that? That's just him. Yeah, it's not CGI. He can and just it's do that. Terrifying. Yeah, he can just make his eye go off in a different direction. Apparently, Bill Hader asked him how, like how they did that effect, and he's like, like this, and he did it, and Bill Hader freaked out. Yeah, I would freak the <laughs> fuck out too. It's but that was that was my favorite. Uh, my favorite moment. Your favorite of, scare, yeah. Well, just my, it was like one of my favorite moments too, because I was just kind of like, A, this is scary. Yes. Like it's one of the actual only moments of this movie that I feel like really unsettled mm-hmm. um, by something creepy, not just like, you know, the, how unsettling it is to watch a hate crime happen or a domestic abuse. It's one scene. of the, like, the, it's one of the, like, um, scary moments, actually scary moments where you don't, like, you have to feel bad. Yeah, you don't have to feel bad You're for like, watching. Oh, it I can just be like, like, "Ooh, it's spooky!" Yeah, in twenty minutes, I'm going to be laughing at Bill Hader's yuck yucks. Like, <laughs> um, and I think that it encapsulates what the movie does, what this movie has to do that the other movie did not have to do, which is carry all of the mythology. Because mm-hmm. the other movie has the the privilege of not having to do that, mm-hmm. which is why it can be, uh, you know, the Goonies with clowns, and and I just think it's. It's effective writing and effective performance. You get, you know, great Chastain, mm-hmm. as always. Really great Skarsgård. Awesome makeup effects. You get to see that budget, you know, big on the screen. The movie looks great, we should mm-hmm. say. It's a huge budget for a horror film um, and looks amazing. It's going to make a shit ton of money. It's already made $185 million worldwide on its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that was my favorite. My favorite huge moment. Huge movie. Um, great. I want to ask you, Lauren... Do you have any other experience with Stephen King movie adaptations? Like, what I, what have I seen? How, what have you seen? And what have you liked? Um, oh gosh. Carrie, Christine, Cujo, Pet the, Cemetery, The Shining. The original Carrie. Okay. I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy it, yes. I was, that's the one I was most curious about with you. I have seen The Mist. 2007 Frank, the one with, Frank Darabont. Yeah, the one with... Um, Thomas Jane and... With the twist at the end. Marsha Gay Harden. Yes. I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. No, I like quite the mist. I like the mist I don't like the creepy crawly monsters once we actually see them, but I like all of the psychological stuff among the people in the store that are like boarded in and the different factions that arise there. Yeah. Um, Marsha Gay Harden fucking rocks that movie. Oh my God, she's so good. She is scary in And that I actually movie. think the ending is... is Effective. Like, tracks. It, like, it, it's, it's Cynical really, and effective. really solid. It's super depressing, but great. Um, trying to think what else. I've seen... You're going to be so upset with me when I say this. I have never seen The Shining all the way through. Okay. Um, I have seen The Shining miniseries all the way through. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> they were showing it on sci-fi one day and I watched the whole thing. Very different. Yes, very different. Um, I think that might be. You're commenting on the on the pure and simple fact that The Shining is my favorite horror movie of all time. I am, and I still have not seen it all the way through. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it in segments. I will say, I have never sat down and watched it all the way through. Gotcha. Um, what other Stephen King things are there? Uh, I mean, there's Christine. There's Thinner, The Langoliers. Nope. Nope. Maximum Overdrive. Nope. 
the Shawshank Redemption? Yes. I have watched Shawshank Redemption. I quite enjoy it. The Green Mile? No. Okay. That's it. Awesome. Well, I mean... So I'm, I'm pretty new to this. Okay. I was going to say, so when you... What do you take away from this as, like, Stephen King's signature kind of, like, brand? Like, what do you... When you are going into your next Stephen King adaptation that you're going to go see... Uh, what, what are you expecting to get? Um, I, I feel like ensemble is something that I come out of it pretty strongly on. I feel like it's usually really solid ensemble work and it like, I don't know, again, cause I don't know a ton about it, but I think that for me, it's more of an, like more of an intangible mood kind of thing of like Americana of like small town Americana Mm -hmm. of just a feeling of the like oppressiveness of small town America and the secretiveness of these small towns mm. and the way that these the insidious people. nature of, of these, of where you grew up and yes. how that affects you as a person. Yes. And how this place that is supposed to be like specifically how small towns can feel are supposed to feel so supportive and insular and like such a warm community where everyone knows each other can actually be so oppressive if they are filled with forces of hate mm-hmm. and how they can be so unknowable and mysterious at times. Yeah. Like how, how there can only be a couple hundred people in a town and yet there are still these like dark secrets and you never really know anyone. Yeah. Um, are so you I guess that's r- kind of what I, and also like this idea of people going away and coming back to hometowns and yeah. Yeah. Are you going to read any of his books? Maybe I've I may uh, read Salem's Lot because I know it's my mom's favorite, oh, and okay. she thinks that that is, that the, she thought that that was incredibly scary. Yeah, I've had. I'm I'm curious about that. I've had a billion and one people tell me that The Stand is one of the best books of all time, and then yeah. I need to read it. Well, and now I have an e-reader, um, which sorry all the people that hate e-readers for l- books that are as long as Stephen King's, and, and you know mm-hmm. people who read as I do at rehearsals and on the train his books just aren't necessarily feasible for me to carry around. No. So it's something that I either need to listen to audiobooks of or I need to read on a Kindle. And now that I, I have one, I can actually maybe do that. <laughs> Dynamite. I'm glad that you can read now. Yeah. Um, um. Okay. <laughs> Get fucked. Awesome. Lauren, what's your favorite horror movie? My favorite horror movie. Do I like horror? Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to answer that. You're I don't your own, know. You're your own person. I'm you trying can answer to, that. I literally am trying to think of a single other horror movie that I enjoy. Um, what other horror movies have you seen me watch? <laughs> uh, well, we saw Midsommar together. We saw The Witch. We I saw enjoyed, Hereditary. I enjoyed that. We saw, um, you know, uh, It Chapter 2. We've seen... <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. I mean... Right now, I might say It Chapter One. Nice. I really love it. Like, it's my type of horror film, I will yeah. say. Like, I don't think that it that follows. means... It Follows. I don't... I really do like It Follows. Yeah. I really like... Like, I also tend to like... The Babadook? You, closer... <laughs> no, I like horror comedies a lot. Sure. I mean, that's I, one of my favorite genres as well. I think that I much lean towards horror comedies than I do straight horror. Um... I, I much prefer movies like this or movies like Happy Death Day or, or like, like Shaun of the Dead or something Shaun of like the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead. Would you count Shaun of the Dead? Uh, no, I'd count that as more of a comedy. Yeah. So I love like comedy or like something like Ready or Not, which is in theaters right now. Um, yeah. Stuff like that is more what gets me jazzed. Sure. 
for horror. So I think this is probably the closest to like a classic horror film that I enjoy. I like like Fright Night. Yeah. I really enjoy. I think that's really fun. You really liked uh, um, Halloween. Oh yeah. I, mean, Halloween. I like the original Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I just tend not to like the, I mean, I really liked when we watched The Conjuring, weirdly. Like, that's more of an exception. No, I liked, honestly, I, I liked both of those Conjuring movies quite a bit. Yeah, um, but I, I tend to like horror when it is more character-based and then concept-based. Yeah. Than just, like, you know, the... I don't know, like slasher movie of the week where it's like, sure. you know, truth or dare where it's just a bunch of co-eds getting murdered. Yeah. I much prefer when it's character based and it's, it's when the focus first. is on the ensemble, not on how the people are going to die. Yeah. Awesome. And like, I think with it chapter one and it chapter two, uh, for all of its flaws and all of its, its pros and the things that it does really, really well in its accolades, we can definitely put both of those movies in the camp of the latter mm-hmm. ones that really, really focus on their character more so than the deaths. Awesome. Anything else you want to add to this before we wrap it up and send it into the world? Um, Bill Hader, marry me and Richie Tozer deserve better. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much for listening folks. Please remember to rate and review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitchers. Uh, we're not on Spotify yet. I don't know why I said that. We will be SoundCloud. soon. Actually. We will be soon. I can, I can say definitely we are making moves towards getting this on Spotify very soon for you. Yes. We want to thank everyone who has listened to a lot of our latter episodes, uh, uh, that have been coming out. You guys have been really, really helpful in getting our numbers up. Uh, please tell all your friends about us. We would love to be in more ears. Uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram and not another film podcast. Check us out on uh, Twitter at, at film another and shoot us your emails because guess what after this episode we're releasing one more of these goddamn Twilight episodes yeah. and that is it now we're back to our regularly scheduled nostalgia thank you very much for listening folks bye you'll float too <laughs>